Thank you for the kind introduction. I don't feel worthy of any of that, but I appreciate the honor that you uh, have given me tonight. The greatest honor you have given me is, and uh, our most holy God is to be here to join in this beautiful singing. Brother, you did a, an excellent job. You're a good song leader. You sing from the heart, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse number 15. Someone was kidding me because they had my picture up on the, uh, up on the uh, screen, and they said they, they didn't know if that was good for business or not. I can promise you that's not good for business. Uh, I, I, I'm never claimed to be a handsome fellow. There was a lady one time, I went to see her at a nursing home, and she said, you're one of the best-looking men I've ever seen. And one of the men with me nudged me and said, but she can't see. <laughs> so that made me feel real good. Tonight we're going to talk about distractions. You ever been driving down the road and you watch uh, these guys, they're multitasking? And I'm a multitasker, I promise you, I can do a lot. I can talk to three people at the same, the same time. I can talk on the telephone. I can do my lesson on the computer and uh, drink coffee, and, uh, among other things. But I don't want to necessarily go down the road and watch this fella drink coffee, use his cell phone, and we see it every day. What about this lady? I was sitting down at the uh, <laughs> one time at the red light going to the hospital in Nashville to make a visit. I looked over, and this lady had everything she owned in that little uh, case, and she had it all out on top of the uh, dashboard, and she would put that on, and then she'd take something else, and I thought, man, she she's really decorating up, but this is not the proper place or the time uh, to do that. Distraction. Have you ever been distracted? Brethren, we live in a society where Satan wants to distract us. As a matter of fact, Peter said in 1 Peter 5, in verse number 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. One way that Satan tries to devour our souls is by distracting us from our responsibility in this life when it comes to spiritual things. As a matter of fact, he said in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that the God of this world, Satan, hath blinded the eyes of them, lest they see that glorious gospel. You see, friends, Satan doesn't want you to be focused on Christ. He doesn't want us to give God our total beings. Are you aware of the fact being a Christian involves everything about us? It involves our lives. It involves our heart. It involves our family. Everything belongs to the Lord. Now that's what uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6 and verses 19 and 20. Know ye not that you've been bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your body which is God's or belongs to God. One translation says you see, God wants us to be totally committed to Him. Matthew 16, 24, Whosoever will come unto me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. What does that entail? That entails being focused on the Christ, fulfilling our responsibilities, and this is one thing I wanted to bring out. I looked up the word feelings. It literally means deep feelings of joy, a solid sense of security, a firm Feeling or feeling of duty, responsibility, purpose in life, all are proper emotions. 
Actually, when you talk about feelings, you're talking about the emotional part of man, the emotional part of a woman. And when you think about feelings, we always have to go back to these scriptures because I don't know who in the, who's uh, perhaps visiting tonight. And I want you to know and I want, to under, I want you to understand that we cannot rely just on our feelings to establish our relationship with the Most High God. When you look at those scriptures, some of them I alluded to this morning. In Proverbs 14, 12, Proverbs 16, 25, same thing. You know, when you start thinking about this, uh, how you think and how you feel, it's very important uh, that we think like God wants us to think. We have a responsibility. We have an emotion with Him. Therefore, to him that thinketh he stand, take he heed, lest he fall. First Corinthians 10, 12, right along this idea of feelings. You cannot get to heaven just based on your feelings alone. When you start looking at Proverbs 28, verse 26, for as a, if a man trusts in his own heart, he's a fool. He's a fool. So you can't just trust on your feelings. You just can't trust on what you think or what you feel when it comes to your responsibility before the Lord. God has established that many, many years ago. And I'm glad that He has. You see, as I kind of alluded to it this morning, we live in a society where we live in a me society. I guess you've noticed that. Everything's about me. Everything's about me. I have my rights. That's the reason we've got some of those lawyers in Nashville advertising, hey, uh, anything happens to you, you take medicine, you have a reaction, if you get a car, I mean a host of things, and you just call this number. Because we live in a culture that's about us, our rights, our freedom, and I'm glad we have freedom. I'm glad we have freedom of choice. That's what the great United States of America stands for, freedom. But friends, there are some things that we don't have the right, we may have the freedom to do things, but we don't have the right before God. Now, with all of that said, what are we distracted about? Feelings hurt. You ever got your feelings hurt? Yeah, I put a little girl up there. I could have put a little boy up there. Not one of my grandchildren, but uh, maybe your grandchildren or someone else. Hey, get your feelings hurt. And you know what happens when you get your feelings hurt? You may start pouting a little bit. I want you to look at this, friends. When you look at a lack of friendliness and warmth, sometimes we, we get discouraged, may even get our feelings hurt because someone was not friendly or warm to us. And I want to say something right here about this congregation. Becky and I go to a lot of places, and it's like what I call the funeral home atmosphere. I mean, it's just... It's cold. Nobody smiles. No one's friendly. You've been to one of them. And it's, it's so encouraging, you just can't wait to go back. Yeah, right. I, I'm telling you, friends, there's something about warmth with God's people. We, we ought to be so warm and so friendly. Proverbs 18, 24, He that hath friends must show himself to be friendly. I love it when I go into a congregation and I don't even know you, but there is a bond that binds us together that causes us to be His children and we can love each other and be warm and kind. As I said, I think this morning my son and uh, daughter-in-law and three children moved down to the Clarksville area. They're driving over to a little congregation 
Now, you've got to remember, my son was a deacon in a congregation of about 300. He was the deacon over the youth, and we had about 100 children. Something perhaps was going all the time. He moves to this little congregation, and the first time that I went to this little congregation with him, Becky and I did, I was overwhelmed. Man, I couldn't believe the warmth, the friendliness, the kindness that was shown and continues to be shown in uh, that church. And his attitude was, Daddy, that, that's a warm place, and I want to stay there and try to help those brethren. Don't get your feelings hurt and become distracted from our responsibility before God just because someone reacted in a way that you don't think they should. Have you ever had someone get their feelings hurt because they've not been asked to be a teacher? Not been asked to be a song leader? I have known in my 30 years plus of preaching, come to find out someone got their feelings hurt because their name wasn't in the bulletin. When I preached in Cordell, Georgia, the first work we had, a mission church. No, it was in Atlanta. Uh, I was in Cordell, left Atlanta. But about the third week that I was there, we, were, we took a whole list of uh, names the elders did. And they said, we've been trying to encourage them to come back. Said, maybe you could uh, say something. So I, I start in my search of getting folks to come back to the Lord and to be faithful to the, to the service. I went to about the third house, and this lady, matter of fact, right across from the church building, and I said, I'm Jack Honeycutt, the preacher at uh, the uh, North Avenue congregation here in Haiti. And I said, I understand you're a member of the church there. And she said, well, kind of. She said, I'm just going to have to tell you how I feel. I could see it coming. And she said, a couple of years ago, my grandchild was over at my house. He was riding his bicycle, and he fell, and he got his finger in the spokes. I had to take him to the emergency room. And she said, you know, not one person came to see me, and not one person, not one person called me, and it wasn't even in the bulletin. That lady had her feelings hurt. Is it legitimate? I wouldn't think so. But it was to her. You know what I said to her? Ma'am, listen to me. There is a higher calling than that. If I go to heaven, I've got to overcome my feelings of being disappointed in life, even by the brethren or someone's not real warm to me. I'm going to press on because I want to go to heaven first and foremost. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. I said, ma'am, you need to come back to church. You need to repent and be a part of our family because we're trying to encourage one another, serve the Lord, that we can go to heaven and be with God. I was there, and the whole time that I was there, she never did return. She didn't get the recognition that she wanted. Or have you ever had someone to criticize you? Maybe you didn't talk loud enough. Maybe you led the song too fast or too slow, or maybe you walked around when you preach. There's a host of things that folks criticize other people for. And you know what I say about that? Brethren, it's easier to criticize someone than to do it yourself. It is so important when we think about being distracted. One way that Satan does that is 
look at ourselves. Remember I talked about meology? We look at ourselves. That was Luke. You remember Luke 12, the building of the barns, and what will I say to my soul? I will tear down my barns. I will bigger, build bigger barns. I will say to my soul, eat, drink, and be merry. Notice how many times the word I is mentioned in that text. That's the problem with, with the rich farmer. The problem of it is he forgot to focus on something other than himself. And so, some people are distracted by having their feelings hurt. Others, well, I want to just kind of expound on this. You know, at the end of the day, God is really what matters. Do not allow these hurt feelings to shut down your purpose and primarily what you're about. I found this quote the other day. I believe it's from Gus Nichols. I want to share it with you. Satan, Satan would love for Christians to be caught up in every petty fuse and overhurt feelings. And this one is tough, and you will have to be constantly working on it. You know, Gus Nichols is right. Satan loves turmoil in the body of Christ. He loves us to fuss and to fight and, and uh, to criticize one another and not to build each other up and encourage one another. You know why he does that? If he can do that, he will cause us to lose our focus on serving and being faithful to the Most High God. Now, let's expound and go up on what I'm talking about. You ever been distracted by hatred, bitterness? It was kind of interesting because I got a phone call this afternoon from a young man that uh, was filling in, teaching a Bible class. And he taught a Bible class today, and he was really concerned. And he talked about uh, the love of God, agape love. And he was talking about agape love. See, agape love is the love that God has for us, and that's the kind of love we're, we are to have for Him. There are three different types of love. In the Bible, there's eros, and there uh, is phileo. But this agape love is where uh, that if I love you, then I, I want you, and I have you in my best interest. I want you to be successful. That's what God does. God agapes us. He agapes every person. Well, anyway, the... The young man said, I want to make sure I got this right because I was talking about different things. Uh, that God, God hates sinners, that, uh, or God loves sinners, but He hates the sin. And all you got to do is go to Proverbs 6 and you'll see seven things that God hates. But he made this statement when he talked about different things. Someone spoke up and said, God does not love a man that's practicing homosexuality. And the young man said, well... God doesn't love his actions, but God loves him. Just like he loves any person. He doesn't condone it. And if a man is practicing that along with any sin, uh, he could lose his soul, will lose his soul. But the young man said, they caught me in the foyer. And one man said, uh, I'll never love anyone that would practice a sin like that. And the boy that called me said he was so bitter. He was filled with hatred. And he said, if I have to love them, then I'll never make it to heaven. Brethren, you see, sometimes we classify sins. We've got big sins, little sins in our minds. We say that if a man commits murder, what can he really be forgiven? He can't bring the life back. You just need to read the Bible about what that says. 
Saul helped to coast at Stone Stephen, and yet he became the great Apostle Paul that wrote 13 books of the New Testament. Someone says, yeah, but you don't understand. Uh, there's different consequences. Why, sure there is. It's a crime, and you will go to jail for that. You should. And, and you look at any sin. Gossip is a sin. Anything that is a sin will cost you your soul if you don't repent and get right before Almighty God. But God still loves the sinners and wants them to be saved. Like Paul said, my heart's desired prayer to God is that all Israel might be saved. Romans 10 verse 1. He said, for I bear them, uh, I, I, I bear them, I remember them, that they have a, a zeal but not according to knowledge. They go about trying to establish their own righteousness, but it's not the righteousness of God. Have you ever been tempted not to forgive? I've had a brother in Christ that have he has said bad things about me and my mission work. He accused us of going over there in India and baptizing the same people every year. And yet our brethren have given so much of their time and work and efforts to try to reach as many as they can. And someone that's never been to India, they make an accusation like that and spreading it all over town. And he's never asked me forgiveness. I confronted him. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've, had, I've, I've struggled with that. But I've got to forgive him if, if I want to go to heaven. As a matter of fact... In order to forgive, we got to forgive because we want to be like God. Peter said, as he quotes from the book of Leviticus in chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, Be ye like God, and to be like God, you've got to be holy. One of the divine attributes and characteristics of the Most High God is that God is willing to forgive when men ask for forgiveness in the terms of pardon. We must forgive to please God. I looked at that passage this morning. Did you see what? Uh, Summer on the Mount, what Jesus said, pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Say, all men are of evil for my sake. Those that talk about me, those that persecute you, you forgive them. You see, brethren, we must forgive to be happy. Now, here's one that I have found many times to be true in a local church. We're distracted because of our feeling of self-worth. Now, I've met some brethren that if you could buy them, it'd cost a million dollars to buy them. That's how, you know, good they feel about themselves. There's two extremes about everything in life, brethren. You realize that, don't you? There is where a fellow thinks too highly of himself, then you go to this end of the spectrum, and you feel so much unworthy, you feel like that you have no self-esteem, that you can't uh, do anything for the Lord. You get into this comfort zone and, and you just feel like, hey, I'm, I'm comfortable, I'm happy being in my uh, comfort zone. And usually what comes with that is apathy and indifference. I'm here to tell you, my friends, that when we look at some of these passages, like Psalm 139 and 114, Psalm 139, verse 14, I, the psalmist says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Friends, listen to me. You are important because God created you. God gave you a never-dying soul. 
You're made in the image and likeness of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Genesis 2 and verse number 7. When you talk about self-worth and, and low self-esteem, you know what comes with that? won't get out of your comfort zone. You won't do what God wants you to do. If you had told me when I was 16 years old that one day I would be a gospel preacher, no one in Monterey would have believed that, and I'd have laughed at you. Laughed at you. Had you told me in 1993 I was going to board a plane and go to South India, back in the jungles for six weeks, lose 16 pounds, Watch 60,000 people gathered on the very first day that I was there to preach to 60,000 people. I'd have said, there's something wrong with you. I would have never done that. There was a preacher told me one time, said, there are, there are challenges in the church. And the challenges can either be met, you can step out of your comfort zone, and you can say, hey, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this for God. Titus 2, 4 says that we ought to be zealous for every good work. We need brethren in every congregation uh, that would get out of their comfort zone and do something you've never done before. We call that when I was preaching at Zion, and that's where my son-in-law and, and daughter uh, and family, they go there. And they have a saying, it's called the Zion Challenge. You do something that you've never done before. You get out of your comfort zone. Maybe you make a visit. Young men, maybe get up and lead a song. Teach a Bible class. Be zealous for every good work. First John 3 and verse number 21. Along the same line. It is our commitment. Have you ever been distracted by our money? We live in a culture and a society that puts a lot of emphasis on money. Now, maybe you can explain this to me. I have a problem with it. When we play uh, pay, there's a basketball player. He's called LeBron James. LeBron James. Is that his name? You know how much money he makes a year? Millions and millions and millions. Do, do you, are you aware of the fact that we pay these professional ball players literally millions of dollars? And we pay a policeman or a military man 60. And if he's in a big city, he might make 70,000. Get you understand that? I, I just don't see that. Any kind, of, from my perspective, I, I just don't see that. But yet, I don't have to see it because I don't need to worry about them. I need to think about myself. Don't you agree that Satan has gotten us in, uh, to a point in our lives that we live in a very materialistic world? Everything in life is about things, money, more money, more toys, bigger toys, faster toys. All these kids got into these games, you know, these video games. You bring your grandkids over and, you know, they, you're trying to talk to them. They're sitting over doing, doing this. When I was a boy, we were out playing in the sandbox or playing, uh, uh, riding a bicycle and having wrecked. They don't do that. You know why? Because the emphasis now upon whatever the child wants, we give it to the child. Over in our area, there was a young man and a young lady 
who belonged to these uh, parents, they actually went into debt, went and bought both of them a new car. Now, you teenagers not going to like this. But I was raised that when I had a Mach 1 or a uh, Camaro, my daddy was very poor. He said, son, you're going to pay your own payment and you're going to pay your own insurance. You know how much I appreciated that? Very little. But I can tell you one thing. My daddy was trying to teach me of some responsibility about money. I don't know if you've ever heard of a man named Dave Ramsey. I have never been able to practice that, but I tell you right now, he's got some principles. Now let me tell you what I mean by all of this. We can get so wrapped up in all we think about is money, more money, more money, and by the way, money's important. There's nothing wrong with money. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. First Timothy 6 and verse number 10. Our brother read for us, Second Timothy 4 verse 10, Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world. Was it material things that he loved? I think that Satan has been successful in a lot of people's lives getting them so involved in things of the world I mean, we just keep on getting ourselves in debt. I know uh, people that they've got a credit card, they'll use that credit card, they'll max it out, and they spend literally years and years just paying the interest on a credit card. And what happens? Then we have to start working overtime. We have to get us another job. Why? Because we've not managed our money correctly. Are we not distracted by that? For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23 and verse number 7. Have we not, even when it comes to the services of the church, emphasized to everyone about how important services are? I know a man that would volunteer. He was a deacon in the church. He would volunteer to work on Sunday because he said, I get double time. You've got a higher calling than that. And I understand if you're a policeman. I understand if you're in the medical field that there may be times and maybe a lot of times you just can't help that. But there's a big difference between having to do it than volunteering to do it. Money is a tool that can pull us away from God. Before we go back, I've got one more then we're going to close. I must have forgot to put it on there. You know what? What can cause us to be distracted? and get our focus off the cross and off God. It's the love of the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And the world's passing away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God shall endure forever. Satan is trying to get us so involved in worldly things, in the world, I mean, through the years, notice the changes that take, has taken place in America. Now, some of it's good. But when I was a boy growing up, we didn't even have to lock our doors. Why? We had a screen door. My grandparents would sit out on the porch all day long in a rocking chair. And you know, they didn't, have to, they didn't feel threatened. They didn't even have a security alarm. And you know, today you have to have a permit, and I've got one, a gun permit, because I used to be a probation officer, and I've got one. And, and, and it's sort of like when I was in uh, Delhi, India, I had to stay in this old motel, I was by myself on a Friday night, my 
uh, deacon friend, uh, was over in the hospital, didn't know where he was going to make it or not. This was in February. He'd had a massive stroke. And uh, anyway, they put me in this old, old two-story apartment complex. The hospital did. And I go in there, and they wouldn't give me a key. They said, no, 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 you don't need a key. And I, they said, you just take care of that from the inside. And I got inside, and there were seven locks. What made me feel good? Seven locks. Brethren, the world has changed a lot. And it is so hard to live in this world and not be of this world. Our values, our principles is so important. And it's not impossible. I don't want you to think, man, he's preaching hard. No, no, no. You stay focused on the cross. No wonder Paul would say in Galatians 6.14, I glory in nothing but the cross of Jesus. No wonder Paul would say, I don't want to know anything about you but Jesus and Him crucified. Don't let the world and worldly things hinder you, prevent you from going to heaven. Distracted by our feelings. Feelings are very important. Demas could have been different. Diotrephes, 3 John 9, he loved the preeminence. He loved that power. Not only that, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5 loved money. Loved money. Now, I'm going to stop right here, but I want to tell you a story. In 1 Samuel 17, you remember the story of David and Goliath? We miss a main point of that story. You remember as the challenge was given by the giant, by the Philistine, and all of Israel, they were afraid of that guy. By the way, I've probably been afraid of him too. He was huge. I said one time, he was about like Andre the Giant. Hey, Andre the Giant wouldn't even come up to two feet of him. And here this boy, this shepherd boy, he goes to Saul and he said, I'll fight him. No doubt Saul, he laughed about that. What do you know about fighting? He said, I'll fight him. I'll take him. I'll go and fight against him. You remember when he went out to fight that day? They laughed at him. As a matter of fact, they mocked him. Said, am I a dog that you come out here with <laughs> some rocks and stuff? What's wrong with you? 1 Samuel 17, verse 47 and 48 is the key to that whole story. David did not emphasize himself. He emphasized God. He said, I come to you in the name of the Lord. And he says, the battle is the Lord's. Friends, we're in a battle. We're in a battle for our souls. We can become distracted. Tonight I've talked about distraction from our own feelings, getting hurt and all that. But I'm going to tell you something. You can win the war that you're involved in. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. The power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might withstand the wiles of the devil. When you arm yourself with that Christian armor in Ephesians 6, doesn't matter what Satan throws your way. You can and will win. You can overcome it. I'm glad, aren't you? Tonight, if you are not a child of God, Satan already has you. Kind of sad, isn't it? It bothers me when folks live every day and they're not a Christian. It bothers me when folks sit in their own pews. When I moved to Willette 20 years ago, I found out we had 15 or 20 people 
that were not Christians. And my goal was to try to teach them the gospel, encourage them, to get them to be baptized for the remission of their sins. Many of them had heard hundreds and hundreds of sermons, still not Christians. You know why? Problem is with the heart. With the heart. If you died right now, would you go to heaven? What's your feeling about that? Would you, would you know you're condemned and did you just already know, well, you know, maybe I've got time or, or, or perhaps, you know, God would be merciful to me and just give me another day. You don't have that promise, neither do I. James 4.14, our life is like a vapor. It appears here for a little while. It's gone away. 2 Corinthians 6, he talks about now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Don't lose your soul. The greatest tragedy ever known to man is to stand before the Most High God, give an account of the things written in this book, John 12, 48, and for God to say, you depart from me, I never knew you. Would you tonight by faith repent of your sins, confess the beautiful name of Christ, be immersed for the forgiveness of those sins, and to live holy and godly. Stay focused on the cross. Perhaps you need to come back tonight and ask the prayers of these good brethren. Would you come right now? While together we stand as we sing.